Uh, please turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. Yes, I am a little bit more bassy this morning. Um, so, no, it's not COVID, because everybody wonders about that. It's just cold and some allergies. Um, so, as one person said, maybe the, the message will be more impactful uh, with my voice this low. Yeah. Or maybe you'll fall asleep. We'll see. All right. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 to 26. The word of our God says this. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and strivings of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest." This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, you have something that is not new, is not um, overly profound, and yet is utterly important for us to understand and to apprehend and to believe and live this morning. Lord, we ask that you will speak mightily through your word, that you will teach us more about what it means to be content in you and to be living a life that pleases you and you alone. And we pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So... I heard some of you, when the book Ecclesiastes came up, you're like, oh, right? Ecclesiastes, huh? Um, And so you might be thinking to yourself, man, is he really going to preach out of Ecclesiastes on Mother's Day? Is that what he's he's really going to (laughs) do? It's so depressing. It's such a downer on a day that should be filled with happiness and joy. As we remember the hard work that mothers have done in raising us and all the selfless moments that wives have put into the process of caring and nurturing for our kids. And yet, as I reflect on what this day is all about, it felt like the exact right passage for this day. This is a day that's about celebrating the work and labor of love that mothers have done and are doing with their children. It's labor that most, most mothers would say is rewarding, but also at the same time can be hard, can be wearisome, and can be frustrating, as a lot of you well know. It can also be Anxiety-inducing. For some, it can lead to despair. 
And if one is not careful, it can easily become a labor that is all-encompassing and consuming in a way that God never intended. It can become both the source of a mother's validation and it, it can become a thing from which she tries to derive her happiness. Now, I realize I've mentioned mothers a lot, but if you are a non-mother here, which many of you are, you don't get to tune this message out either. The truth is that the description of motherhood that I just gave you applies to all of the work and all of the toil that has been given to us to do in this life. Whether you're a mother, a father, a doctor, a factory worker, a secretary, uh, an engineer, a teacher, an IT worker, a builder, a coach, student, volunteer, community member, or just a friend, you have tasted both the rewards and hardships of your labor and your work. And you have at the same time been tempted to make it the source of your hope and your happiness and your validation. And so all of this to say that I believe the words of the author of Ecclesiastes, who, just so you know, is more than likely Solomon, are very fitting for Mother's Day while also containing a message that every one of us needs to hear and heed. And the message is this, listen carefully, that everything we do for any other reason than the pleasure of God, it's fleeting and it won't last. I'll say that again. Everything we do for any other reason than the pleasure of God is fleeting and it won't last. It is, as Solomon calls it so often in this book, vanity or a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so with that message in mind, I believe that Solomon, who is called in this book the preacher, uh, has four things he wants to communicate to us in these nine verses. And the first three this morning are, are warnings. They're warnings about things that we shouldn't be working for, while the fourth one will orient our hearts to the one true purpose for which we should be doing and pursuing all things. And so let's begin this morning by looking at the preacher's first warning to us, and it's this. Don't be living to leave a legacy. Don't be living to leave a legacy. And now before I get into that point, I want to start by defining the term legacy. This is something that we hear a lot in Christian circles, this idea of legacy. So, and I want to define it for you by reading from an article on RamseySolutions.com that describes sort of what this idea of legacy is and what it means. It says this, a legacy is an enduring impact that you make on those who outlive you. Most of the time, it comes as or it includes a gift, such as an inheritance or a family business or property. But it's not limited to possessions or money. A legacy is an opportunity for you to change the world for good. Leaving a legacy is like tossing a rock into a pond. There's an initial splash followed by ripple effects that continue on once the rock has disappeared. You might have a small rock to throw or a big boulder, but each one of us will leave something behind us. It's up to us to decide how far those ripples will travel. Now, when you first listen to that, that sounds great, doesn't it? Who doesn't want their life to have like positive ripple effects on future generations? Who doesn't want to leave an inheritance of Christian values or maybe even wealth for future generations that's going to hopefully help them succeed and yet be faithful to Christ? We all want on some level for God to use us to have an enduring impact on the world, whether big or small. 
And I want you to know up front, I'm not here to tell you that that's bad. It's a good thing. In fact, Scripture affirms it. And in fact, Solomon himself affirms it. Look with me here at Proverbs. Proverbs 13.22a, Solomon writes, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And then in Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So yes, leaving a legacy of godliness and faithfulness, and for some of you, maybe even money, it's good. And it's good because hopefully by God's grace and his power, it's going to have positive ripple effects on your children, and then hopefully on their children. But I'm also here to tell you that Scripture presents this idea more as a general principle and not as a guarantee. Scripture doesn't give us a guarantee of how future generations will carry on our values or how they're going to handle the things that we leave to them. And so Solomon, the preacher, he understood this, which is why he could write on the one hand, on this next slide, this principle in Proverbs 12, 6. He could write, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. While then also writing in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He understood that leaving a legacy may have positive ripple effects on future generations, but you can't guarantee it. And because he couldn't guarantee it, he realized how foolish he was in living as if his kingdom and his values and his work were going to last forever. Because we know the end of the story, right? We know what happened. Everything that Solomon built and everything that his father David before him built was basically destroyed within one generation. Rehoboam takes over. Rehoboam's unwise And literally, the kingdom of Israel in one generation is split in two. And then unfortunately, if you continue to read scripture, it's pretty much all downhill from there. And now maybe you're here this morning, and you feel pretty good. You feel pretty good about how you've lived your life. Maybe you have a nice little nest egg to leave to your kids. You have the ability to give to a lot of great causes, and And if you are fortunate enough, maybe you have kids that love Jesus, right? Which is kind of what we all hope for our kids. Or maybe you're here and you feel the pangs of financial regret. Maybe you feel the heartbreak of wayward children and you're asking yourself that age-old question, where did we go wrong? Or maybe you have that feeling that your life isn't going to mean much when you're gone. And no matter which side you fall on, Solomon wants to warn us this morning that putting our hope in our enduring legacy is vanity. Because you can't guarantee how it will be carried on. And the truth is that once we're gone, and this is very true, once we're gone, the enduring memory of who we are, it's eventually going to fade. 
I know it's kind of bleak, but it's the reality. It won't endure forever. So don't be living for or putting your hope and leaving a legacy. It won't last. So that's warning number one. Warning number two this morning is don't be living to make a name for yourself. Ecclesiastes 2 verses 20 and 21 say this. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Now, if there's any person in Scripture, right, who was revered for their greatness in the time of their life when they were alive, it was Solomon. I mean, this dude had everything. He did everything, and it says that he was wiser than every single person in Israel and all the surrounding countries. In fact, look with me here at Ecclesiastes 1. Uh, Verse 16, it said this, Solomon writes, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 9, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees, bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem." Also, my wisdom remained with me. And then on the next slide, in 1 Kings uh, 4.34, it says, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Now, if we were going to take Solomon and maybe try to compare him to some modern figures, this might not perfectly work, but I would say that Solomon's probably like a mixture of Maybe Elon Musk and Gandhi, right? I I realize it's not perfect, but that's kind of my best guess. The truth is people wanted to be him. They they wanted, uh, people would have loved to have those riches. And they came from all walks of life and from all nations to hear his wise sayings. And yet despite all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge, in all of the skill that Solomon used in building his kingdom, despite all the fame that he amassed, he says in Ecclesiastes 2.20 that he gives his heart up to despair when thinking about all that he's done. And that seems strange, right? That description that I just read in 2, 4 through 9, you're like, dude, you did everything. What's your deal? Why are you so, like, melancholy? But he knew something. He knew, like I said before, that it wouldn't last. He knew that he would die. He knew that his name and fame would pass away and that his kingdom would pass to somebody else who hadn't done anything to deserve it. In fact, interestingly enough, until the time of modern archaeology, for the most part, we didn't even have any physical evidence that a person named King Solomon existed. So there were thousands of years 
where we didn't have any real shred of evidence that there was an actual person named Solomon who was king of Israel that actually lived. And it's only been in the, in the last hundred years that we've actually come to find those artifacts throughout Israel that confirm that Solomon was actually a person and he was actually a king. And all that to say that his greatness didn't last. And so for us today, this should provide a sobering warning. You might be a mother who finds her validation in being a great mom. And maybe you love the fact that other mothers love to come to you and ask for advice on how to raise godly kids. You might be really good at your job and you enjoy those accolades like when your coworkers come to you or when your boss comes to you and they're like, oh man, great job, doing great work. I know I'm in that camp. I love it. I, I love hearing you've done a great job. Or maybe you have a gift of wisdom and discernment and deep down, man, you really love when people want to hear your thoughts on any given topic. But in the end, this validation and praise is vanity. It's a vapor that no matter how hard you try to hold on to, it's going to fade. There's going to be a day, moms, unfortunately, where other mothers stop asking for your advice. For those of you who work a job, who, again, you, you get that, 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 that good job at your work, there's going to be a day when somebody else get the, gets those accolades besides you. And eventually, people won't want to hear what you have to say. Because your name, your glory, and your status, no matter how great they are, they're not eternal. They won't last forever and therefore should not and cannot be what we live for, what we long for, or what we put our hope in. They fail us. As it says in James 1.11, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich or prideful man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so the warning for us this morning is don't be living to make a name for yourself. Point three, the third warning. Third warning is don't let your labor become an idol. Don't let your labor become an idol. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 22 and 23 say this. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all of his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Let me ask you this. How many of you in this room feel stress on a semi-regular basis? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the rest of you are lying. <laughs> that's, that's not true. <laughs> like five people raise their hand and everybody else is like, not me. Yeah, you're, no. <laughs> Stress for, ma for many of us feels like a normal and inevitable part of life. Just think about everything that happens on a daily basis. Each day there can be an overwhelming number of things that you need to think about, that you need to keep track of, and do that all can end up being a catalyst for stress, for anxiety and worry in our lives. Stress is and has become a regular part of sort of our normal daily existence. But why? Right? 
what is causing us so much stress? And what is it that we're all so worried about? And I did a little searching, and I, and I came to a, a blog post on psychologicalhealthcare.com. And what they pointed out is that there, there are actually some very common things that we're all stressed out about. And they kind of fall into some big categories, and they're this. They're as follows. Money in the future, right? That's always a big catalyst for stress and worry. Uh, job security, right? That's, that's an important one. Relationships, that can be a cause for a lot of stress. And health. Health is the, is the last main category. And so we stress out about whether or not we have enough money for today or we come, become consumed about making sure that we have enough money for tomorrow. We fret, over, we fret over if we have the right job, if it pays enough, or if we're going to be able to keep it so that we can provide for ourselves and our families. Parents, all the parents in the room, you stress out about your kids, even if they're grown, right? You're still stressing out about your kids and how they're doing. Um, singles, you can be consumed about whether or not you're going to meet somebody. That's a, that's a big stress point. Married couples, you fret, you fret over whether or not your spouse is meeting your needs and how the, how the marriage is going. Um, and there are times as we think about relationships where we long to have one person that just really understands the depths of our souls. And then finally, we worry about health. Are we going to remain healthy our whole lives? Are we going to end up with a disease or some, have some tragedy happen to us or someone in our family? And for me, I, I know for me, that's probably the area, if I'm thinking about my stress, that's the area that I stress out about the most is health. And so we work and we toil and we strive after these things as if they are ultimate goals in our lives. We work super long hours because we need a little bit more money or we, we need that promotion that's going to secure our future. We endlessly pour over our finances in the hope that we're going to have just enough money so that we can live that comfortable life in retirement. We spend our days trying to figure out how to raise our kids, how they're going to turn out right, you know, how we're going to help our adult children not make stupid decisions, right? You, you, you spend so much time thinking about those things. We become consumed of, with the idea of where we're going to find, find our spouse or about how our marriages can fulfill us. And we quietly search and long for that one person who can make us feel seen. And we obsess over our health, either mental or physical, in the hopes that we can live just a little bit longer without emotional or physical struggles. Or maybe for some of you, you have sort of the opposite reaction. It's not that these things don't stress you out. It's not that you don't want to work to, to you know, find, find a spouse or work to have enough money, but these things become so overwhelming for you as you think about them. Your default reaction is to check out you, you go completely net, Netflix binge. You're like, I'm not going to think about these things because it's too much, and I'm just going to watch Netflix for the next 10 hours. I'm not saying I've ever done that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that these aren't good things to think about and pursue because God has called each one of us to be good stewards of the jobs, the money, the relationships, and the bodies we've been given. In fact, Jesus makes this point in the parable of the talents when he says this in Matthew 25, verses 20 and 21. 
He said, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Our God wants us to be good stewards of the things that he's given us. But the problem for many of us is not about being good stewards. The problem for many of us is that our jobs, our money, our relationships, and our health, they've become ultimate in our lives. They've become what consumes our thoughts, our energy, and they become the focus of everything that we do. And in so doing, they've become what the Bible calls idols. They become things that we knowingly worship as if they're going to bring significance to our lives. Or we obsess over them in a way that leads to worry and doubt. And in the end, maybe we check out because they're too overwhelming. This is what an idol does. Our lives end end up being run by them or ruled by them. But Solomon wants us to see that all of our striving All of our toiling over these things leads to days that are ultimately full of sorrow, vexation, and frustration. He says that, right? Right in verse 23. Our days are full of sorrow and vexation. And they can become so consuming that they they even uh, basically disturb our sleep. As it says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. The point is that they don't and can't bring the ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment that we desire. Money and jobs don't last. Relationships, even the best of relationships at times, they, they fade. <clears throat> Our health will fail. And, and ultimately, again, these things are going to fade away, guaranteed. And in the end, our striving and toiling and stressing over these things as if they're an ultimate sort of, source of significance and fulfillment The scripture calls them vanity. They too will fail us and will lead us to a dead-end path. And so then, if these are Solomon's warnings for us this morning, to not be living to leave a legacy, to not be making a name for ourselves, and to not make our labor an idol, then what's the solution? What's the solution in this seemingly fruitless and unfulfilling toil that's been given to us in this life? In essence, the question is, where do we find purpose in it all? And that's our last point for this morning is this. It's not all doomsday. Don't worry. Uh, Point four is that he is calling us to be living and working for the pleasure of God. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Do you see how there's a shift of focus here? And how that shift of focus changes everything. Solomon takes us from the fleeting reality of our toil in this life 
to now saying that we should eat and drink and find enjoyment in our work. But why can he say that when before he was basically saying that, that his work led him to despair? And it's because his focus, it's no longer on find, finding significance from the work itself. Instead, he realizes that his significance comes from living, eating, drinking, and working for the pleasure of the almighty God who isn't fleeting, who isn't fading, and who isn't a vapor. And therefore, will never let us down. In fact, the inherent promise in verse 26 is that when we work for the pleasure of God, that he's going to give us pleasure, right? Think about that. When you work for the pleasure of God, he is going to give you pleasure. And, and beyond that, he talks about joy and wisdom and knowledge. And not only that, he even says right in verse 26, he says, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. When we please God, he's going to give us exactly what we need. You don't need to be worried about having an impact on future generations. You don't need to be consumed with getting praise and validation from others. You don't need to stress out about your job, your money, the future, your kids, your spouse, your marriage, or your health. Because God will not only provide exactly what we need in these areas, but he's pulling back the curtain of our world to show us that he and he alone is our only ultimate source of joy and fulfillment. And that his pleasure and glory, they're the ultimate purposes for our work. In fact, Paul writes, this is basically what Paul is writing in these famous words from 1 Corinthians 10.31 when he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God. And so if you're a believer here this morning, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, if you are a son or daughter of the living God, my closing challenge to you this morning is basically to examine what you're living for. Are you endlessly stressed out and worried about this life as if it's going to give you significance and purpose and happiness? Or are you working for the pleasure of the triune God who is our only real source of life, joy, and peace? Because what Solomon wants us to know is that only one will actually last. And only one will actually give you the forever life and joy and fulfillment that you desire. And I want to close this message with this quote uh, from poet C.T. Studd. It's very powerful when he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord God, you have given us so many things to do in this short life that you have given us here on earth. And yet, Lord, it is true that, that those things can easily become ultimate in our lives. And yet we are asking and praying, Lord, that you daily will reorient our hearts to see that your pleasure and your glory are the ultimate things we need to be pursuing, treasuring, and working for. To realize that our, our greatest joy, our greatest life, our greatest fulfillment is found in pleasing you all the days of our life in making much of you and you alone. 
Will you sink that deep into our hearts this morning? Will you make that not just something that we intellectually believe, but something that, that, that we desire, something that we cherish, something that we seek after with all of the energy that you have put within us, knowing that what we get in the end is eternal life and eternal joy and a forever just life with you. And we long for that and want that. And so we just pray all of this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.